Wendy, I'm home. Who's your movie? Hey everybody, welcome to another Who's Your Movie? I'm Bill, here with Zim once again. Hello kiddies. And today we're going to see some dead peoples. Mm-hmm. We are going to visit M. Night Shyamalan's breakout hit. From 1999, The Sixth Sense. 20 years ago. Yeah, big, big success at the box office. So this actually came out right after I graduated high school. So I remember the theatrical release really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was that time where I didn't have a whole lot to do. Besides go to the movie theater, because, well, you're not old enough to go to the bar. And it's either the movies or the pool hall or random BS with your friends or something. Well, because you're not in college yet, so. That too. Uh, so, The Sixth Sense was one of those movies that I saw multiple times. Um, did you go to the theater to see this one? Yes, I did. <clears throat> I didn't see it multiple times in the theater, but... It was one of those movies that really, really, really smacks you in the face. Yeah. Um, This was the first time I had really experienced, like, the twist within a twist. Mm -hmm. Um, I had seen movies that had swerves in them before, but, yeah, this one was uh, a new... A a new type. Yeah, a new level. (laughs) Yeah, different level of... Of Swervage. So, um, also, fun fact, this is the first time that I ever went to a theater that served meals. Hmm. Like, uh, they're not, I don't want to say commonplace now, but they're a lot more common than they used to be where you actually get, like, weight service. Um, but this was the first movie where I experienced that, and it was, like, one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> uh this was uh, not my first viewing, so I wasn't as worried about like missing anything while I was ordering or whatever. But right, um, yeah, it was a uh, another cool little first, and this movie ties to that. So mm-hmm. nice little memoir from that time. Well, one the one thing I found really funny about this movie—it's a fun fact. I mean. <laughs> The Disney executive that bought the script originally didn't talk to his bosses about it first, <laughs> and they canned him for it. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah, backfire, because it ended up being, like you said, one of the highest grossing movies of, of all time. Yeah. Um, God, that that's tough, because, yeah, you, you, you don't want to cross the boss, but uh, he, he clearly believed in it. Well, I, I believe he spent yeah two and a quarter million on the script alone. Okay, but didn't talk to his bosses about it. Didn't get their permission, and when they found out, uh, um, bye, you're gone. Yeah, I, I suppose I can't really blame him. Um, granted, it turned out okay, but 
you know, letting someone kind of go wild west without going through the checks and balances, yeah, that can lead to other issues down the line, even if it did work out this time for whatever reason. Yeah, I, well, I get it. Um, the thing is, too, not only did he pay just two and a quarter million for the script, he also allowed in the deal to let mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan have all the directorial rights and he had to do it his way. And yeah, when the boss found out, he was livid. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I mean, for a very virtual unknown writer director. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about like Steven Spielberg walking in and throwing a pad of paper down on you and saying, here we go. But um, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But good news. It got made. It turned out great. And we have a bona fide classic movie at our disposal because of it. So Absolutely. And I mean, I found our interesting this little fact with it tied in with this, too. Before Bruce Willis agreed to do this movie, he was set to direct and produce a movie for Disney called the, the Broadway Brawler. The Broadway Brawler. I'm not familiar with this. Well, because it never got made. <laughs> what can I say? Like in the first three Sounds weeks of the like it's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, Bruce Willis was set to act and direct in this, and we. Within the first like three weeks of production, Bruce Willis basically fired everybody. Okay. <laughs> Which then Disney said, "No, we're not doing this." But now you owe us like seventeen and a half million dollars because of all the production that was already put into it. Bruce didn't want to pay it. They said, "Here's the deal: we're sending you to a three movie deal, and part of everything you make out of those three movies is going to come to pay us back for this." Okay. All right. Okay. So, but I and this was one of them. Uh, this was one of them that we've done by Disney with, with Bruce. Could you name the other two? Not on my life. I didn't even know this was a thing that happened. So, yeah. uh, the other two were Armageddon <laughs> and the Kid. Ah, uh, see, I never watched the Kid. I, I I went to the theater with a friend to see Armageddon because he wanted to go see it. And, I, you know, yeah. I, I go along to movies that my friends want to see unless they sound completely horrible. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100% on that one. But there have been many times where I've regretted the decision after I've gotten there. I'm not going to say Armageddon was entirely one, but I'm not going to say it wasn't either. And it was a star-studded cast. So we'll see the day that Aerosmith died. Go ahead and fight me on that one. <laughs> Sorry, I won't go any further. I will not go any further. They castrated Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Anyway. So this uh, this movie starts off quite interestingly. Um, looking back, I. I see little things that I never picked up. Um, like when we open with Bruce Willis and his wife celebrating the award, and she goes to the basement and she feels that chill. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm not exactly sure why she does because the break in happened upstairs. So it's not a draft. And the 
end of the end state of things has not happened yet either. So there's there's that. I'm trying to say this without, you know, just giving it all away, even though I'm sure everyone knows what happened by now. But, you know, I'm pretending that you don't. Right. <laughs> um, but that hasn't happened yet. So there's no like reason to feel that unnaturally. I'm not really sure where she gets that chill. So, like, there had to have been a reason, and I just, I don't know. Maybe symbolic of the movie. It, it could be. Um, so, I, I'm open to being persuaded on that. <laughs> right. If anybody wants to sway me one way or another. But, a uh, fun little drunk scene, rather, you know. Getting all flirty with each other and laughy and haha, silly. He just won an award. And... Yes, very important award. Mm-hmm. Then they go upstairs. They're going to do their thing. Except that gets cut short by New Kids on the Block reunion. <laughs> Except everybody but Donnie forgot to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Well put. <laughs> Hey, so, where's everybody else? So we have poor Donnie. He's what, like a hundred pounds here or some shit? Something like that. He lost a ton of weight for the movie. For like the one scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dedication to your craft, I guess. He did a pretty good job, I thought. I, it, the, the facials were a little bit goofy for me, but um, yeah, I, I can get over that. Uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a lack of forethought just standing there while he goes and retrieves the gun from the sink. I know he didn't know that there was a gun there, but it was like, dude, you didn't have to just stand there. But he did. He just stood there and got shot. Because, you know, Donnie is off his rocker. Yeah. Because the child psychologist did not do his job when Donnie was a child. So then he went on to be in the new kids and lost his mind and most came of his back. money. <laughs> and most of his money. That's why they're touring again. <laughs> uh, he owns uh, a stake in Wahlburgers, right? I think he does, yeah. Uh, he says he's got back falls and stuff now. He, he's good. But, you know, in 99, he was blaming Bruce Willis for, yeah. for seeing things and yeah, having a a less than ideal life. Mm-hmm. So his retort was to open fire with a single shot to Bruce Willis and a single shot to himself, mm-hmm. which he apparently survived because he's still walking around making burgers. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I've never had a wall burger, so I can't say unfortunately or not. Well, I'm just saying he's up and walking around. <laughs> well, I don't mind that part. I, <laughs> I, I you know, I'm a guy, so I, I don't really care about the music career. Well, if you figure, going back on the whole new kids on the block thing, he was castrated when he was six. <laughs> um, doing boy band crap. Poor Donnie. Yeah. But, yeah, we flash forward to the next fall. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> two shots and a fade to black, and now we're like, a year ahead or something like that. Um, 
So we have another kid that weighs all of like 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. God, he was small. He was supposed to be what, like nine or 10? Something like that, yeah. Um, but Haley Joel Osment, good lord. Whoever cast this kid, bravo. Yeah. Because speaking of casting that role, Michael Sarah was up for this role. Really? Yes. That I did not know. And the scene where, you know, Cole is crying and whatnot, that was a scene he auditioned to. Except only Michael Sarah can do this. He played the part upbeat. Oh, God. Yeah. And he wondered why he didn't get the part. Uh, yeah, no, that doesn't work at all. No. Uh, I mean, if you're making a, you know, Casper-esque comical ghost movie, perhaps. But sure, if, you, if you're doing a slapstick Ghostbuster kind of deal. Yeah, then I get it. Mm -hmm. But this is supposed to be a traumatic journey of a kid trying to make peace with a power that he's gotten that he doesn't want, along with a tumultuous relationship with his mother. Uh, who is trying her best as a single parent after the father has left and also trying to get Bruce Willis to go through his journey at the same time. He, like, none of this is upbeat. No, it's a very depressing. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but that's the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. Another uh, casting, you know, another, actually another casting, uh, auditioning, I say, was you know Tony Collette was you know played by obviously played Cole's mother. Yeah, fantastic mm -hmm. actress too. Uh, another one that was up for it was Marissa Tomei. I would not have been against that. I, I think she would have done pretty well too. Yeah, I think she's a pretty um, well-rounded actress. Have you seen Hereditary? No. Oh, Collette nails it in that one too. She's so good. Uh that I will recommend that one to you and you all at home as well if you haven't seen it yet. But another one where. She's She's the mother figure in a horror setting, and she just, yeah, she kills it. Love yeah. it. Love her. Well, another funny thing I found about this movie is that M. Night Shyamalan cast himself as the doctor. Yes. He regretted it. Really? Yeah. He said, you know, he did it as a nice little thing to acknowledge his parents, who I guess were both doctors. Unfortunately, you know, eh, his parents didn't like it, so he regretted it. Huh. Yep. Did they not like it because he was just impersonating a doctor or because they thought he was not doing a good job of coming across as a doctor? Okay. Yeah. That's unfortunate because that, you know, that's coming from a good place. Right. So when you get the unexpected bad feedback from the thought and the um, that's what I'm looking for. Um, sentiment. There it is. There you go. Today's what word is Bill trying to come up with is sentiment. <laughs> hmm. uh, anyhow. So, yeah, Cole, we don't hear him speak for a little bit because he just kind of leaves his house and then does this really awkward run. Mm-hmm. Goes to church. He does. He goes to church, and then he's playing with figures in the church. An empty church, no less, yes. 
<laughs> I freaking love it. Because this is where Bruce and uh, Haley's characters talk to each other the first time. But after the conversation on the way out, he just snatches a Jesus figure or some kind of figure from the... Uh, I don't think it was a nativity scene. It was some kind of uh, scene like that. And he just snatches a figure on his way out. <laughs> just lifting shit from the church. Nice. <laughs> it's awesome. You find out why later, but like he has this semi-in-depth conversation with Bruce Willis. And you think he's just, you know, mature, but kind of disturbed kid. And then I mean, he's just pilfering stuff from all the place on the way out. What? What? <laughs> Oh, another thing that I, that I didn't really notice it until maybe the second or third time I've seen this movie, and I, I did a little research on it. If you notice, Haley Joel Osment and Donnie Wahlberg, both their characters, have little patches of white hair on their head. I have not noticed this. And what I have come to find out that M. Night Shyamalan did that on purpose, and he referred to them as spirit spotters. Okay, so kind of like the uh, the shine in the pictures. Yeah. When oh, nifty. Yeah. I I will have to go back and take a closer look because I did not notice that any of the times I've watched this. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. Um. One of the most fun scares, I guess, if you want to call it, in the movie happens right after this where. Oh, Cole and his clip-on ties. So he gets uh, something messed up on his clip-on ties. So his mom takes it, and it's one of those smooth one-shots where it follows her to the laundry room and one and back in one shot. When it, when she comes back, all of the door, uh, the drawers and the uh, cabinets are open. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not like she was gone for a long time. She was gone for like you know three seconds, and comes back, and everything's open. That was cool. Yeah. Especially when he leaves the table and she can see the sweat mark. You know, like when you put your hand on something too long and you get that mark right. when you leave it. And you see that so you know he hasn't gotten up. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Like, uh, Paranormal Activity did something kind of like that. Uh, that one's one of my favorites, too. The difference is in that one, the character standing there. With all this stuff open, and it just pops open almost like fireworks <laughs> in front of the characters. So it's it's um, executed a little bit differently, but the same kind of scare. Freaking love it. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of my favorites. <clears throat> uh, so you get the idea that. Cole and his mom don't really have the best relationship, but not necessarily like tumultuous. They're just not. They're very different. Yeah. It's not like they're mad at each other. It's not like they're unhappy at each other for any reason. Just it's not a closeness there. Right. Right. Very like standoffish. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that stems from. You know, the parents splitting and he's just kind of become reclusive or if it is a side effect of what he is to reveal later. But I can see it being a little bit of both. Yeah, but it gives you an idea of the journey we're about to go on and where these characters need to end up at the end. So 
you, you kind of have those those two pathways now with um, Bruce Willis's character and then the mom and son. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting ride. Um, again, there's not a whole lot that's cheery about it. No, not really. I mean, especially not until, I would say, closer to the end. Right. I, they do have their moments where they try, though, like when he comes home from school and they're, like, making up all the good things that happened to him that day, even though, you know, they don't really exist. Right. He's making it up to make her feel better. Yeah. And she's, like, talking about how she won the lottery. Mm-hmm. He's, like, talking about winning kickball. And, you know, it's so it's clear that they're trying to be happy. It's just... They're like, it's like their situation just doesn't allow them to. And they're trying to, you know, get through instead of, you know, figuring out how to move forward. But, um, yeah, it doesn't uh, seem like Cole's too popular at school either. He seems to be very outcast. I think he wants it that way. Think so? Because he feels different because he knows he is different. Yeah, he's very different. And I think he does it because he doesn't want to be ridiculed for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm i sure he hasn't told well, anybody uh, what, even his mom, he hasn't told what's going on. But, yeah, it's got to suck for the kid. Mm-hmm. Being, uh, you know, like I didn't have the largest group of friends when I was going to school, so. I understand being in a small group, and that sucked, but he has, like, nobody. <laughs> and he goes to the birthday party, and, yeah, you can tell he doesn't want to be there. And... Yeah, that that was a, an interesting scene, too, because a few reasons. <laughs> He's trying, again, because he tries to show that magic trick that Bruce Willis showed him. Uh, he tries to show it to the other kid, and then the other kid's like, that's stupid. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, when, they so, lock, when they lock him in that closet. And... Yeah, so he ends up by himself again, and that's when he gets drawn up to the... Uh, was it a closet, or was it a dumbwaiter? Something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And he hears voices coming from it, which, you know, okay, that's scary enough. Um, but... Yeah, then the other kids notice him and decide they're going to, you know, put the bully boots to him and sure. lock him in there. Uh, props to the mom for who we got freaking heavy metal music going at the uh, birthday party. And this is on the first floor and she can hear him screaming barely audible over the music. <laughs> and she hears it and goes up to the second floor and gets him out of there. Yep. Like, I'm not entirely sure I would have heard him. Well, by the time she got there, he was already passed out, too. Oh, yeah. He he was in rough shape. Yep. That's when we actually get that M. Night cameo, because he's implying that they need to make sure that she didn't do it. Right. Which I understand, but I also understand her uh, backlash towards, you know, what the hell do you think I did this? Right. Um. But that is when we get the iconic scene that everyone quotes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when he tells um, 
Malcolm, that's Bruce Willis's character, when he tells Malcolm what his secret is, that he sees dead people. And there's the tie to that scene, again, another little fun fact here. To get Haley Joel Osment to cry for that scene, his father told Bruce Willis that before, before they shot the scene to start yelling at him. Who do, I understand you're trying to act, but who, what kind of fucking father tells someone to yell at their own son to make him cry? I mean, I get that it was for the betterment of the scene, but at the same time, I'd feel like the biggest jackass in the world to do something that to, uh, do that to somebody's kid. <laughs> to my or to even my own kid. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's uh, that's nuts. Uh. He does pull it off, though. There's a there's a whole lot of emotion running in that scene. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, again, it, you ask somebody to quote a line from The Sixth Sense. It's yeah, if That's, it's not, I see dead people. I don't know what it's going to be. No. Uh, one of the, one of the most iconic one liners ever. Yeah, and. He also goes into all of the things about how they don't know they're dead. They see what they want to see. You know, he sets all of these, not so much rules, but parameters up. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start getting to go along the ride with him. Because we haven't gotten to do this yet. We've just kind of seen him get disturbed. And we kind of heard the voice in the, the, at the party, uh, but now we get to actually see some things. Well, and another thing too that you know, <clears throat> Tony Collette almost quit midway midway through this movie uh-huh. because she you know, never had a problem sleeping in her life. But the hotel she was staying at, she would inexplicably wake up at random times in the middle of the night at either one eleven, three thirty three, or four forty four. Really? Yes. And it was freaking her out. Uh, yeah. That's. Uh... Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff right there. Uh, and, and she's never, and she's gone on record as saying before that movie and after that movie, I have never had a problem. Wow. Um, yeah, there, there's a curse on some movies. Uh, I could understand getting freaked out by something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Poltergeist had a curse. Uh, the Exorcist had a curse. Quote, unquote. I think maybe even The Omen. Okay. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, there's just these inexplicably bad things happening to people that touch those projects, and so no, I I would I would totally understand that, but glad you didn't quit. Yeah. So you wow. know you and I have talked about this before. What is the significance of the color red in this movie? Oh my God, we're gonna get in. I'm gonna go through the whole gamut at the end. I think here too, because okay. um, yeah, there's a lot to this and I'm I, I I'm in different directions and going down different roads with it so I, I think it'll be worth a, a trip post credits here um, but the first time we see a thing what the Cole getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night this was a really creepy, creepy scene when you watched this movie for the first time, when you didn't know it was coming. Um, 
you you kind of had an idea because you you got the cold to go down right uh you got the temperature going down first and you can see his breath so you you get that ominous all right some shit's about to go down but when you see it walk right in front of the camera not in full frame it's just like the you know the lower half of the ghost go by and it's like whoa it could have had him right there yep oh it's on now. And then he goes in and you kind of get faked out because it looks like a woman. So, well, maybe it's just his mom. And then it turns around and you almost have to double take because, like, the first time I saw uh, the woman turn around, like, I couldn't quite get the face. Right. I was like, is that his mom? And then it zooms in and she starts talking. And, oh, that's not his mom. Lisa Martin. Um, that's the girl. Yeah. Yeah. That'll. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, when she turns around and starts talking and it's like, No, that's not mom, that's uh that's somebody that's got some issues with the wrists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um But this is also when you see him run to his tent for the first time. Right. And you don't see how the end pans out with this, it just kinda cuts from there. Um kind of peeking out the front of the tent. You can kind of see the ghost advancing, but it doesn't give you what the resolution was. However, not the scariest one, because the scariest one, at least in my opinion, was when... um, So he... um, The scariest one, when he, he feels the cold come on again, and this is after Malcolm's already kind of talked him through and said, you know, what do you, what do you think they want? And he's not sure if they just want to hurt him or, or what. And Malcolm thinks, you know, maybe they're coming to you because they think you can help them. Maybe try talking to him. Well, the very next scare is, you know, the temperature goes down he gets freaked out. He, he runs into his tent, which you, then see all of the um, the statuaries and stuff from the church. Mm-hmm. So you realize he's made himself a sanctuary. Right. That's why he's pilfering from the church. Okay. So he's not a little scuzz bucket. He's just trying to protect himself. All right. I get it. But then the tent starts coming apart. Mm-hmm. And then the things in the tent with him. <laughs> the sanctuary has been broken. And it was terrifying because it started at a view of the, the roof of the thing. And you could see the, the uh, clothespins coming off. Mm-hmm. And it pans down and all of a sudden there's this ghost right in your face. And it it's a worried look, but it doesn't look worried right away. It looks like, you know, it's... You know, uh, you know, there's like the the stuff coming out of her mouth, and it, it's just it's so intimidating looking and crazy scary. Oh yeah, and he tears off out of the the tent, the the blankets over the ghost, and like he stops halfway down the hallway and realizes, uh, okay, it's not chasing me. Maybe try to talk to it. Yeah, all right, let's go talk. <laughs> and you don't really get the uh, conversation, but. You, um, you see him go to the 
little girl's funeral. Wow, this was nuts. Well, now Malcolm is partially right because this one wanted his help. Yeah. And the old, she get it. He got, it, he got his help. Holy. Like, and this is another one of those where I'm thinking back to the first time I saw this. And it's, what on earth is he going to do by going there? And then you get another, like, creep out scare moment when he goes into her bedroom. She grabs his leg from next to that bed. Like, that, that was so unnecessary. Right. You could have just said, hey, here's this thing. Right. Why did you need to grab his leg? So mean. But I don't know the rules of engagement with the ghost world. So maybe they have to like freak you out or something like maybe that's like in the contract. But the old VHS of Doom shows that the mother has been slowly killing her. Wow. Why? Well, and obviously the father didn't know because when Halo Joe Lawson gave him the videotape, oh boy. Uh huh. Like, I, I can't even imagine what that conversation would have looked like after his intro of, I know what you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, like, where it could have possibly gone from there. I don't even understand what her reasoning would be for doing it. No. But I'm. It, it, that's one of those things, like, you almost, you can't put logic into a place where logic won't go. So right. um, there's likely no logical reason why she did it. Um, it just sucks. But yeah, he did help out a ghost. Yes, he did. You know, another thing that a little, you know, side note to the movie, they went to great lengths and very, it was, they were very careful not to give away the major twist at the end in this movie. But you know, the movie was released at the same time as the soundtrack was. The last uh, song on the soundtrack, Malcolm is Dead, was the name of the song. <laughs> you didn't think that one through. No. Uh, yeah, that that's... Wow. <laughs> yeah. They must have thought nobody's going to buy this soundtrack until they watch the movie. Apparently. But... Yeah. But it is what it is. I guess so. Um, the the cool thing with helping the older sister too, because they they made mention that the the younger one was falling ill too, so it sounds like the mom was doing it to the both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's say why or what the end game was going to be with that, but he not only saved daughter, he not only helped the ghost, but he saved the life too. So. Yeah, pretty heroic without knowing that he was going to be. Um, So after he's kind of come to grips with this power and what his responsibility is with it, it it seems like he's finally in a pretty good place, but you still have the, the B story of Malcolm not really being able to talk to his wife because there's some scenes like during their anniversary he meets her at a restaurant and he's, he's late obviously <laughs> he's late and he's apologizing for being distant because 
you know, all this stuff with Cole. And she doesn't say a word. And she signs the check, puts it down, says happy anniversary, takes off. Like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's not feeling too good about that. So, uh, so ironically, Cole gives him some advice on how to do that. The, the student becomes the teacher, if you will, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, so he tells him to, uh, talk to her while she's asleep. So she has to listen, which is, you know, pretty sage advice. Um, kind of shows that he's matured beyond his age, whether it's a result of his power or whether it's something else, who knows, but, um, they part ways presumably for good at that point, because Cole seems to have been helped and it's time for Malcolm to move on. But we get the car scene with Cole and his mom and this, uh, I don't know if this won any awards, but this scene would at least have been worthy of some nominations in my opinion, because this was an awesome conversation slash bringing that journey of mom and son kind of reconciling their separation. Separation is the wrong word. Their distance. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of finally melding into that family that they need to be in order to succeed. And all because of an accident. Mm-hmm. And him finally having the courage to explain his gift, I guess, at this point we could call it, um, rather than curse. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But once he starts giving the details about his grandmother and it's stuff that he wouldn't have known, right? Like then she it clicks and she knows that it, this is the real Johnny, and like, oh, that that's when the feels just. Dart porn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, fantastic way to wrap up that, uh, those two characters' roles in the movie. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's a way to put you out on a high note while still having some the right way to put this it it puts you out on a high note but you know they they still have a ways to go they're not like out of the woods yet but they're they're gonna have a damn good chance now yeah fighting chance then we get the twist Mm -hmm. Because Malcolm tries to take Cole's advice. And his wife says, why did you leave? And he's, I didn't leave you. And then you see the breath come out. The ring fall out of her hand. And he sees that he still has the gunshot wound. And it goes through all of this stuff while Cole's going you know, it, it plays back the Cole giving the parameters of the ghosts as you see all of these um, 
like him trying to get into a study and he can't, he thinks the door is locked. It's because there's something blocked. He just didn't want to see it. Um, he thought that she was seeing one of her coworkers behind his back. It's because he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, I was floored the first time I saw this. I was not prepared at all. Um, I don't that nowadays if someone would see it for the first time, there's enough stuff out there that's like it that I could probably buy someone saying that they saw it coming. If someone came up to me in '99 said, "Yeah, I saw that coming," fuck you, bullshit. <laughs> no way. Uh, someone pulls you going in, or you have seen it before and just don't want to own up. But this was awesome. <laughs> and it's what brought me back into the multiple viewings. Is I, I wanted to see all of those like foreshadowing clues that I either ignored or missed. Well, freaking great. The Sixth Sense is actually kind of referred to as a fancy horror flick. Okay. Because it's, it's only one of four horror movies that's ever been Oscar, uh, uh, got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. Uh, mm, that's probably with good reason. They're, horror movies aren't exactly Best Picture targeted. Yeah, uh, it's a niche genre. It's a very large niche. <laughs> well, can you guess the other three? Uh, did Psycho? No. No. Um. Let's see. That's a good question. Best picture horror movie. And I'll give you a hint. How about Alien? One no. of the aliens, no? I'll give you a hint, though. One movie from the 70s, one from the 80s, one from the 90s. Yeah, I was thinking Alien, the Alien franchise from, from the 80s, but if that's not it, uh, what about The Thing? No. Uh, I would want to say Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but that seems off. Yeah, it's not, it's not one of the three. Um, uh, would they classify seven as a horror movie? No, no, um, they'll probably make sense when I hear them, but yeah, they will. Uh, the first one was The Exorcist. Ooh, yeah, I would not have thought that would have been a best picture, though. The second one's kind of you can go kind of go either way on it in terms of horror movie or not, but in a way, it is Jaws. Okay, yeah, I would buy that as a horror movie. And the last, <clears throat> last one was Silence of the Lambs. Now that one, that one I think more of as a thriller than a horror movie, but I I don't dispute it being on the list at all. Um, but I, I would have never guessed that one because I just personally classify it differently. But totally, totally legit choice. Yeah, uh, The Exorcist surprises me though. I would have thought that would have been a little too extreme to get the Academy nod. Ooh, apparently it did. So. Yeah. Especially like the scene where she's using the crucifix to, you know, do things that are not right. I would have figured that might have been like auto DQ. All right. But um, hey, cool. Right on. Um, so, yeah. We, we get the reveal and we realize that he's dead. And that's kind of where this, this the story wraps up. But let's talk about the red that we've been mentioning a couple of times here. Because this is a 
theme throughout the movie. Red is a very symbolic color in this movie, and uh, this was purposefully done. M. Night's made many an interview about this. Um, but originally, it seemed like red was... It was meant for things that were like danger. Um, so, for instance, when Cole is wearing the the red sweater at the party, mm-hmm. and he goes into the or he gets thrown into the the thing with the the ghost, and it rips the sweater up, or like the funeral where the mom is wearing the bright red lipstick and the bright red dress at a funeral. Like, um, but then you see things like the sanctuary blanket is red. The door of the church is red. There's all kinds of other things that are not so dangerous. And they're almost like safe zones that are red too. So it's very hard to get a finger on the pulse of this guy. I don't know if it's supposed to just be stuff that's... If it's tied to an emotion or if it's tied to a spiritual thing or if it's tied to some other kind of theme. And and it's an interesting kind of study. Um, Speaking of study, the doorknob, uh, (laughs) bright red. Um... I think it's all—it's not—it's a recurring thing with M Night, though. I mean, if you look at the village, you know, it's the forbidden color. Yes. I mean, I maybe M Night just got a thing about the color red. I don't know. I, I feel like, at least in those two movies, they were very targeted. I, I'm not sure if his other movies have anything like that. Um. But um, even things like the the balloon that goes up to the chandelier at the party was red and it drew him upstairs. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's things like that. Um, um, another one like the get well cards for the girl mm-hmm. that are on the mantle. They're all red. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know if. Um, Like in in some of these cases, they're they're meant to clearly draw your eye to like some impending story thing, right? But um, I I don't know. It's almost like something that got touched by the spiritual world in some way. It's been read. Because, like, obviously a church door. Yeah. Um, Malcolm's study is, is clearly, once he's dead, <laughs> he's mm. clearly the spiritual world at that point. Um, yeah. Even, um, I think even at the, um, at the restaurant, at the anniversary dinner, wasn't she wearing red for that, too? Might have been, yeah. Which, that's another... 
I, I don't know. Um, it, it's almost like there's there's times where it's tied to the spiritual things, but it's also tied to like things that are like high emotion. Um, his mom's wearing red in the car during that last scene where they actually reconcile. Well, then that's when he tells her. Yeah. The woman, um, I think her helmet was red that was in the accident that's standing outside the window dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think her helmet was red. Like, it, it's almost like everything that is or is about to be touched by this spiritual gift or world gets the red treatment. And it's interesting to see all of the little spots where it occurs. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's... It's a cool device, and I, I wouldn't want to overdo it. Yeah, but he did it very subtly. Yeah, and like you said, red was a, a theme in the village as well. I'm glad he doesn't do it for like every single movie that he does, but uh, it, it's a powerful vehicle, and it's pretty neat to just speculate on all of the meanings because you know this might also be just us finding shit to make to attach meetings to, and it really doesn't. But, you know, he's admitted that Red, as such, has some kind of meaning right. to it. Um, It's just what those meetings are. Maybe we're attaching things to it that aren't there. Maybe we're overlooking things. Maybe we're underlooking things. But it's interesting. Um, So, yeah, Red. Go, go and find all the Red stuff. Absolutely. Don't make it a drinking game. <laughs> Stuff's on the screen that's red. Take a shot. Don't do it. You, you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we here at Who's Your Movie do not condone turning find the red thing into a drinking game. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that uh, that's the sixth sense. I absolutely adore this movie. <clears throat> Again, I, I have some pretty strong like life event memories tied to it too, having just gotten out of high school, getting ready for college, kinda had that last bit of freedom before moving on to that next step of life. First time, you know, talking about going to somewhere where you get served an actual meal with a movie. I'd never experienced that before. So new life experiences, getting ready for other new life experiences and it's all kind of centered around this movie, so this was a good one for me. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> um, the basis for this movie was M. Night Shyamalan's actual life experience. He wrote this movie after going to a family member's funeral. Okay. And somehow, some way, it gave him the idea to write this. Well, inspiration finds you in the strangest of ways sometimes. I can tell you that for a fact. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, yeah. So, a lot of sentimental reasons I love this one, but also some regular movie-esque reasons. To which I say, shall we put some numbers on this bad boy? Absolutely. Cool. So, I'll say, yeah, I'm all for giving it the number. I'm not going to rush it along, but we are missing AEW Dynamite, certainly. 
Okay. So, put some numbers on the sixth sense. Let's start with the plot. <clears throat> Definitely a plot for me. So original. You know, again, you think it's one thing, and then at the end, at the end of the movie, right, right at the very end of the movie, it's, it's slapped you in the face. Couldn't go wrong with that. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I'm putting a five on this as well. Again, this is the first time that I remember getting hit. You, know, you duck the left, you get hit with the right, you think that was the bad one, then you get hit in the stomach, yeah. and, and you just get dropped with it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, I, I know the, the twist has become kind of a, a punchline when talking about M. Night since... You know, he's done so many movies since, and there's always some kind of twist. And, you know, the robot chicken, what the twist? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. But this was the first one. And, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Loved the ride. Loved the journey all the characters took to get where they needed to go. So, yep, yeah, wonderfully done. How about the visuals? <clears throat> well... Again, this is, you know, Sh Shyamalan's first big breakout movie. But it's become iconic now because he did everything. Every every movie he does has some sort of visually, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say correct, but visually, a visual theme to it. And now looking back at it, oh, that was perfect. Couldn't do any better. That's definitely a five for me. Okay. So I'm going to go with a or for the visuals on this one. Um, and then it's not really a knock on it. It's just a... It's more of the, the side effect of what the story needed to be. There was a whole lot of dark to it. Um, so a lot of the scenes were just real dull and real dreary. And, and it's because the, the narrative kind of required them to be. So you don't have those necessarily like striking landscapes or, um, you know, big eye poppers, but you have all the the little tidbits with the red and uh, you, you get some of the historic feel, too, of the town. And uh, I, I liked the way that they shot things like the school play. It kind of felt like you were at a school play and that. Mm hmm you know, some overproduced thing. It was it was what it needed to be. But um yeah, I certainly would would not put it up like where I put Indian Jones the last well, crusade. Um how about the action? There wasn't a ton of action to this. There really wasn't I said the wrong acting. Thing. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um the acting like you couldn't ask you couldn't ask more. I mean Haley Joel Osment as a little kid that'd be that good. Bruce Willis played that role phenomenal. And another side note to the Bruce Willis in, this, in the acting in this movie. In actual real life, Bruce Willis uh, uses his right hand to write, throw, whatnot. He learned to write left-handed just so he could show that his wedding band was still on. And then <laughs> was missing. And he, he learned to do that just for this movie. I mean, so that's commitment to your craft. So to me, I give the acting a five. I mean, 
Tony Collette did it well enough, but I mean, everybody else did what they needed to do. And it was to me, it, you, I couldn't see anybody cast as Malcolm other than Bruce Willis. I can't see anybody cast as Cole other than Haley Joel Osment. I couldn't see it. I'm also going to give this a five. I will say, I feel like there's a few people that could have pulled Bruce Willis's character off. Mm. I, I feel like maybe like a Willem Dafoe or like a Kevin Spacey. Or, or someone like that might have been able to do it. But Bruce Willis was really freaking cool because he's Bruce Willis. Yeah. But Haley Joel Osment, good God. Whoever it is that found him, cast him, bravo. Mm-hmm. Absolute bravo. Uh, like, yeah, I, I fought over Tony Collette's acting already. Um, e- even like the, the teacher that kind of doesn't understand why Cole's freaking out and then all of a sudden gets irritated and he starts stuttering again and, uh, you know, kind of turns that switch. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a cool little switch flip in the middle of a, of a dialogue. Um, yeah, really cool. Um, the the main bully kid was just jackass enough to mm-hmm. want to punch him in the face without necessarily wanting him to die. You're right. <laughs> like, but I, I, I wanted to see him get fucked up a little. Just enough to feel make him feel some pain. Right. So yeah, I'm down with a five for that one. Um, so how about the scare factor? Scare factor, definitely a five. I mean, just it's the subtle things like you know when it gets cold, and you can see you, know, you can see his breath. I mean, you know something's coming, but you don't know why. And until it happens, yeah. So, yeah, that's, a, again, it's a five for me. Cool. Um, I'm going to go four and a half. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say that what there was was bad, um, especially when you get introduced to his power and that first ghost walks right across the screen right in front of you. That's that's scary. The girl in the tent was terrifying. I just, I would have liked a little bit more. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because they did cut out a scene where I think Cole, they're driving in the car. Yes, this is the, the, on the bus that they're going to the funeral. And they see it at the uh, old uh, Veterans War Hospital. Right. And then, and I cut the scene out of the movie, he thought, you know, if if he left it in, he he might maybe have to go rated R instead of PG-13. They cut that scene out of the movie. Yeah, I've never seen the deleted scene. I don't know if it even exists on tape, but I have read the script dialogue for it. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, but yeah, I would have liked a little bit more. Um, but what was there was was good. And that's the difference between you and me, though. You're a scary movie fan. I'm not the hugest fan of that. So that exactly. For me, that's, that, that filled my cup for me. I'm good. Uh, how about the musical score? Personally, I'm going to give it a three, and I'm going going that high because you didn't really notice it. At least I didn't. So as long as you're not detracting from the movie, I'm good with it. So I'm going to give a three and a half. And the reason I'm going to do that is, you're right, most of it you don't really notice, except for that main string and, um, is it a clarinet or maybe an oboe or something over the... Um, the light strings every time something like supernatural happens. Right. 
and maybe I'll, I'll see if I can find it and insert it here over my my dialogue here. But uh, that that piece is really pretty, and mm. it, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's imposing enough, but it's calm at the same time, and it's something pleasant to listen to. There's also one other like variation of it that is a lot more intense. Well, um, specifically when he's listening to the recording with Vincent back on his tape uh, player, yeah, and he's playing it over and over again to hear the the uh, he turns volume up to hear the the voice more, yeah, and, and that music gets more and more intense and like that. That's not calming at all. That's no. actually a, a really disquieting piece, but I really, really like it because it's it's just enough to get those little hairs oh, up. Yeah. And I, that's what I need a horror music score to do for me. I don't need it to be just loud screeches that make me jump because you startled me. Right. I, I want tension with my visuals. I want my tension with my scene setups. I want my tension with my music. So... Yeah, I will give it a three and a half there. How about overall? That's a no-brainer. That's a five. All right. I mean, again, I'm not a scary horror movie horror movie person, but this one was <clears throat> very subtly done, mm-hmm. and to me, that was really cool. Yeah, this one for me, I, I had trouble adding this one to my top horror movie list because it's almost a family drama in a horror setting because it's really almost more about the journey with Cole and his mom and the journey of Malcolm and his wife and realizing why they're so distant. And there's two very different reasons why they're distant. Um, I love the way that they did it though. Cause it wasn't too sappy. Because then I would have been like, this is a romantic comedy in a horror space and, you know, get this out of my face. Right. So it it was written so well that it can pass as a horror movie. So mm-hmm. I'm okay calling it that. Um, but overall for me, I'm going to give it a four and a half just because, let's see, there's things that kind of keep it off of the perfection top of the mountain for me, but it's really close. And... You know, a lot of that is some nostalgia mixed with how it made me feel the first time I saw it. And then, of course, the rewatchability has elements behind it, too. And there's always those constants that are going to keep me going back to watch it over and over again. You can't see it for the first time again, sadly. But, yeah, I always like I like I mentioned picking up the. the wife getting the chill in the basement and like little things like that. I'll pick up each time that I watch it. So, um, there's a lot of nuance to it that I really appreciate. Yeah. Very cool. So that's the end of our take on the sixth sense. Uh, our next episode, we're going to forego the random machine of randomness. We all, because we are about two weeks away from Christmas. And I suggested to Bill, I know he's not much of a Christmas movie fan, but that we go through our favorite Christmas movies of all time. Yeah, so we're going to bring you our top ten Christmas movies. 
Strap yourselves in, folks, because I got some reasons. Oh, you're looking grown then. Oh, <laughs> you guys might yell at me for some of these. I won't. <laughs> these aren't Christmas movies. Well, you know what? Some of them are going to become Christmas movies. Well, I'm gonna I'll make a fair argument for them at least. Well, I'm going to say this right now before you before you take off tonight. I don't care what anybody says. Fight me. Die Hard and Die Hard 2 are both Christmas movies. Oh, spoiler. They will definitely be on my list. And mine as well. At least, well, Die Hard. I'll probably, I'll I'll probably keep it to a, uh, to a franchise well, yeah, level. Lump it all in together, yeah. I, I won't go too cheesy to the line. Yeah. Friday the 13th, Friday the 14th 2, Friday the 13th 3, Friday the 13th 4. No. <laughs> like, that's cheating. No, I wouldn't do that. Not saying that I would pick those for Christmas movies. I'm just saying in a format. But we will come at you with that list sometime appropriate for the Christmas holiday. And until then, we will hope that you have a somewhat not cold, not miserable couple of weeks leading up to the holidays here. Well, and listening to the, the Christmas podcast, just for the simple fact that I know a lot of people travel around the holidays. You know, we could make your, your trip a lot more interesting. I'm going to try. I mean, <laughs> you might agree with us. We might piss you off. You never know, but it's going to be fun. That's right. Yes. If nothing else, I'm going to make this fun. Oh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> but until next time, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, if you have anything you want to shout at us, as always, who's your movie at g uh, who's your movie at gmail dot com or Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, hit us up. We'll we'll always be all ears for you. If you want to just compliment us or you want to argue with us, we're all we, we take all forms here. Hell yeah! But until then, I'm Bill. I'm Tim. We'll see you guys down the road. Adios. See ya.